Section forty-nine of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume Two, by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. As we walked to St. Clement's Church and saw several shops open upon this most solemn fast day of the Christian world, I remarked that one disadvantage arising from the immensity of London was that nobody was heeded by his neighbour. There was no fear of censure for not observing Good Friday as it ought to be kept, and as it is kept in country towns. He said it was upon the whole very well observed, even in London. He, however, owned that London was too large, but added, It is nonsense to say the head is too big for the body. It would be as much too big though the body were ever so large, that is to say, though the country were ever so extensive. It has no similarity to a head connected with a body. Dr. Wetherell, Master of University College, Oxford, accompanied us home from church, and after he was gone there came two other gentlemen, one of whom uttered the commonplace complaints that, by the increase of taxes, labour would be dear, other nations would undersell us, and our commerce would be ruined. Johnson, smiling, Never fear, sir. Our commerce is in a very good state. And suppose we had no commerce at all, we could live very well on the produce of our own country. I cannot omit to mention that I never knew any man who was less disposed to be querulous than Johnson, whether the subject was his own situation, or the state of the public, or the state of human nature in general, though he saw the evils, his mind was turned to resolution, and never to whining or complaint. Footnote. As he liberally confessed that all his own disappointments proceeded from himself, he hated to hear others complain of general injustice. Piozzi's anecdotes in the footnote. We went again to St. Clement's in the afternoon. He had found fault with the preacher in the morning for not choosing a text adapted to the day. The preacher in the afternoon had chosen one extremely proper. It is finished. After the evening service, he said, Come, you shall go home with me and sit just an hour. But he was better than his word, for after we had drunk tea with Mrs. Williams, footnote, Boswell and I went to church, but came very late. We then took tea by Boswell's desire, and I ate one bun, I think, that I might not seem to fast ostentatiously. Present meditations, end of footnote. He asked me to go up to his study with him, where we sat a long while together in a serene, undisturbed frame of mind, sometimes in silence and sometimes conversing, as we felt ourselves inclined, or, more properly speaking, as he was inclined, for during all the course of my long intimacy with him my respectful attention never abated and my wish to hear him was such that I constantly watched every dawning of communication from that great and illuminated mind. 
he observed all knowledge is of itself of some value there is nothing so minute or inconsiderable that i would not rather know it than not in the same manner all power of whatever sort is of itself desirable a man would not submit to learn to him a ruffle of his wife or his wife's maid but if a mere wish could attain it he would rather wish to be able to hem a ruffle he again advised me to keep a journal fully and minutely but not to mention such trifles as that meat was too much or too little done or that the weather was fair or rainy he had till very near his death a contempt for the notion that the weather affects the human frame i told him that our friend goldsmith had said to me that he had come too late into the world for that pope and other poets had taken up the places in the temple of fame so that as but a few at any period can possess poetical reputation a man of genius can now hardly acquire it johnson that is one of the most sensible things i have ever heard of goldsmith Footnote. the following passages show that the thought or something like it was not new to johnson bruyere declares that we are come into the world too late to produce anything new that nature and life are preoccupied and that description and sentiment have been long exhausted the rambler number one hundred forty three some advantage the ancients might gain merely by priority which put them in possession of the most natural sentiments and left us nothing but servile repetition or forced conceits ibid number one hundred sixty nine my earlier predecessors had the whole field of life before them untrodden and unsurveyed characters of every kind shot up in their way and those of the most luxuriant growth or most conspicuous colours were naturally cropped by the first sickle they that follow are forced to peep into neglected corners the idler number three the first writers took possession of the most striking objects for description and the most probable occurrences for fiction rasselas chapter ten some years later he wrote whatever can happen to man has happened so often that little remains for fancy or invention works volume seven page three on one see also the rambler number eighty six in the adventurer number ninety five he wrote the complaint that all topics are preoccupied is nothing more than the murmur of ignorance or idleness dr wharton essay on pope says that st jerome relates that donatus explaining that passage in terence nihil est dictum quod non sit dictum prius railed at the ancients for taking from him his best thoughts pereant qui antenos nostra dixerunt End footnote. it is difficult 
to get literary fame, and it is every day growing more difficult. Ah, sir, that should make a man think of securing happiness in another world, which all who try sincerely for it may attain. In comparison of that, how little are all other things. The belief of immortality is impressed upon all men, and all men act under an impression of it, however they may talk, and though perhaps they may be scarcely sensible of it. I said it appeared to me that some people had not the least notion of immortality, and I mentioned a distinguished gentleman of our acquaintance. Johnson, sir, if it were not for the notion of immortality, he would cut a throat to fill his pockets. When I quoted this to Beauclerc, who knew much more of the gentleman than we did, he said in his acid manner, he would cut a throat to fill his pockets if it were not for fear of being hanged. Dr. Johnson proceeded, Sir, there is a great cry about infidelity, but there are in reality very few infidels. Footnote. Warburton, in the dedication of his divine legation to the free thinkers, says, Nothing, I believe, strikes the serious observer with more surprise in this age of novelties than that strange propensity to infidelity so visible in men of almost every condition, amongst whom the advocates of deism are received with all the applauses due to the inventors of the arts of life or the deliverers of oppressed and injured nations. End of footnote. I have heard a person, originally a Quaker, but now I am afraid a deist, say that he did not believe there were in all England above two hundred infidels. He was pleased to say, if you come to settle here, we will have one day in the week on which we will meet by ourselves. That is the happiest conversation, where there is no competition, no vanity, but a calm, quiet interchange of sentiments. Footnote. In the Rambler, number 89, Johnson writes of that interchange of thoughts which is practised in free and easy conversation, where suspicion is banished by experience, and emulation by benevolence, where every man speaks with no other restraint than unwillingness to offend, and hears with no other disposition than desire to be pleased. In the Idler, number 34, he says, That companion will be oftenest welcome, whose talk flows out with inoffensive copiousness and unenvied insipidity. He wrote to Mrs. Thrale, such tattle as filled your last sweet letter prevents one great inconvenience of absence, that of returning home a stranger and an inquirer. The variations of life consist of little things. Important innovations are soon heard and easily understood. Men that meet to talk of physics or metaphysics or law or history may be immediately acquainted. We 
look at each other in silence only for want of petty talk upon slight occurrences piozzi letters end of footnote in his private register this evening is thus marked boswell sat with me till night we had some serious talk footnote prayers and meditations page one three eight boswell end of footnote it also appears from the same record that after i left him he was occupied in religious duties in giving francis his servant some directions for preparation to communicate in reviewing his life and resolving on better conduct the humility and piety which he discovers on such occasions is truly edifying no saint however in the course of his religious warfare was more sensible of the unhappy failure of pious resolves than johnson he said one day talking to an acquaintance on this subject sir hell is paved with good intentions footnote this is a proverbial sentence hell says herbert is full of good meanings and wishings jacolo prudentum sixteen fifty one malone and a footnote on sunday april the sixteenth being easter day after having attended the solemn service at st paul's i dined with dr johnson and mrs williams footnote boswell wrote to temple i have only to tell you as my divine that i yesterday received the holy sacrament at st paul's church and was exalted in piety it was in the same letter that he mentioned asiatic multiplicity and a footnote i maintained that horace was wrong in placing happiness in nil admirari footnote nil admirari propri res est una numici soloque quae posit facere et savare beatum horace epistles book one epistle six nine one not to admire is all the art i know to make men happy and keep them so End of footnote. for that i thought admiration one of the most agreeable of all our feelings and i regretted that i had lost much of my disposition to admire which people generally do as they advance in life footnote. we live by admiration hope and love and even as these are well and wisely fixed in dignity of being we ascend wordsworth End of footnote. johnson sir as a man advances in life he gets what is better than admiration judgment to estimate things at their true value i still insisted that admiration was more pleasing than judgment as love is more pleasing than friendship the feeling of friendship is like that of being comfortably filled with roast beef love like being enlivened with champagne johnson no sir admiration and love are like being 
intoxicated with champagne. Judgment and friendship like being enlivened. Waller has hit upon the same thought with you, but I don't believe you have borrowed it from Waller. Footnote. Amorettes as sweet and good as the most delicious food, which, but tasted, does impart life and gladness to the heart. Saccharissa's beauty's wine, which to madness does incline. Such a liquor as no brain that is mortal can sustain. Wallace Epistles 12, Boswell, end of footnote. I wish you would enable yourself to borrow more. Footnote. Not that he would have wished Boswell to talk from books. You and I, he said once to him, do not talk from books. Boswell's Hebrides, November the 3rd. 1773. He then took occasion to enlarge on the advantages of reading, and combated the idle superficial notion that knowledge enough may be acquired in conversation. The foundation, said he, must be laid by reading. General principles must be had from books, which, however, must be brought to the test of real life, in conversation you never get a system what is said upon a subject is to be gathered from a hundred people the parts of a truth which a man gets thus are at such a distance from each other that he never attains to a full view End of section forty nine